Well, hey, let's open our Bibles to uh, the book of Philippians chapter 4, and we'll continue in our study through the book of Philippians. We're actually going to finish the book of Philippians today. It's been a good study, right? About three months here through the, the book of Philippians. Let me tell you a brief summary of this book, uh, if you're just joining us, just sort of a, a quick overview. It's one of four books known as the prison epistles. These were letters that Paul wrote when he was in prison in Rome, and he wrote them uh, to these, these various churches, a uh, church in, in, uh, in Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, the church uh, in Philippi, the, the book of Philippians, the church in Colossae, uh, the book of uh, Colossians, and uh, the, the book of Philemon. And by the way, next week we're actually going to study the book of Philemon. It's one chapter, so we'll probably get it done in one week. So we'll cover the book of Philemon next, uh, next week. Uh, and that's how we do it here. We just teach chapter by chapter, ver- verse by verse, book by book. So Philemon next week, something to look forward to. But this is one of those four prison epistles. And uh, here's the occasion for it. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi as a response. They had initially written to him, finding out that he was in, uh, in, uh, in Rome. Uh, they actually got together a collection, and they sent a guy by the name of Epaphroditus uh, to physically go to him and to encourage him. Uh, to, to, to care for his needs. Uh, in those days when you're in, in, in a Roman prison, if you didn't have somebody from the outside to take care of your needs, your food needs and, and, your, and all, and, and just financially to care for you, then, then it would not go well for you in prison. You would actually starve to death. And so he needed their help, and they were the ones that stepped up and responded. And so, uh, so they sent Epaphroditus, this faithful servant from the Philippian church, and he brought the money that they had collected to support him and take care of his needs. And Paul was was moved and, and, and just ministered to. And so he wrote them a letter in response. He gave it to Epaphroditus to take back to them. That's the letter that we hold now in our laps, the book of Philippians. That's what we finished studying today. Um, and the purpose and the occasion for this letter is, is to talk to these believers about joy. And what Paul wants to do is hitting joy from different angles, help them to understand what it is to have joy in the Lord. Uh, joy being different than happiness. Happiness dependent on our circumstances. Joy is not dependent on our circumstances. And so he starts the letter in chapter 1, and he expresses this philosophy of Christian living, summed up in verse 21 of chapter 1, where he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And basically what Paul is conveying there is saying, look, I might be in prison and things might not be going well, but my whole life's outlook has been changed. My philosophy of life completely changed because of what Christ has done for me. And so for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, you know, essentially I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, so none of that matters. I have the joy of the Lord despite my circumstances. And he moves on from that into chapter 2, and he starts talking about the pattern of Christian living. Basically what he says is, look, Christ, being, being a Christian, the, the idea that Christianity is simple, it's just not easy. You know, our salvation is free, Christ has done the work, but having been saved, man, now it's just the work of working out our salvation. And that's what he says there, is to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so he talks about just having to work on humility and having to work, you know, just needing help from our brothers and sisters in Christ to work out our salvation, uh, and how it's just flat-out hard work to be a Christian. But, but he's conveying to them that, oh, it's a lot of hard work, 
But man, we have joy in the Lord. God's working in us. God's working through us. And so there's this awesomeness that that you can experience, even though you go through turmoil and hardship and hard work and, and you have to work at it, Man, it's just awesome we can have joy in the Lord and uh, this as a, as a pattern for our lives. He moves on from that in chapter 3 and he talks about the, the prize of Christian living. And in talking about the prize of Christian living, what basically he's talking about is, man, we have the hope of Christ. We have salvation in Christ. This is the great prize that we have. You can have joy in the midst of your circumstances because, man, you're saved. You get to know God intimately. You get to know God personally. You get to know God eternally. And the result of that is that you can have joy which surpasses any circumstance that you can, can be in. Well, finally, in chapter 4, Paul concludes with the power of Christian living. And what he's talking about here, well, last week we focused on the power that we have in prayer. And what Paul talked about last week, if you missed it, basically was, hey, we can rejoice always. Uh, He says, rejoice always, and again I would say rejoice. It's the key verse of the entire book. And and Paul says, we can rejoice in in the Lord always. We can be anxious for nothing, but in everything... By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we can let our requests be made known to God, and the God of all peace will guard our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. And that basically the idea there is everything's got to come through Christ. He now lives in me. He guards my heart. He guards my mind. And so now every anxiety, man, it's got to come through Christ. And and, in coming through Christ, man, the result is we're going to have peace because we can just trust in Him. And this is the joy that we have. Well, this week, we're going to conclude, as Paul's talking about the power of Christian living, not only do we have power in prayer, but he concludes with the idea that we have uh, power of sacrifice in our Christian life. And the big idea of the message today, and Paul's going to talk about, is the financial sacrifices that the Philippians have made faithfully, and he's talking about just the 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 encouragement to them, really, of, listen, you get it. You've got it right. You're making these sacrifices, and there's a hope and a reward that awaits you. And really, to sum up this big idea, we could do so by by sharing something that Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew's gospel. Put it on the screen for you. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 21. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And a few verses after that, he continues the thought, and he says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And like I said, Paul closes this epistle basically talking about money. That's what the message is about today. And I realize that um, I'm perpetuating a stereotype in teaching the last part of Philippians chapter 4, in that a lot of people, they come to church and they're like, oh, you know, how long is it going to take for the pastor to talk about money? You know, oh, there you go. Now he's talking about money. Now, here's what I would say. I don't talk about money. We don't emphasize it here. We don't pass the basket here. I mean, I, I grew up in a church. How many of you grew up in this church that got a giving bag on the end of a stick and they go down and they're like, you know, jabbing in, you know, they bring it back. They're, come on. They jab it, right? You know, and, and a lot of us grew up in those churches, right? And, and it's, it's not unlike, it, this is a joke, okay? It's not unlike, you know, the guy that comes into the church with, with his dog walks into first church, and he says, hey, can, can you baptize my dog? 
And the pastor is offended. He, this isn't a circus. This is first church. What are you talking about? You bring your dog in here. You want me to baptize your dog. Get out of here with your dog. And the guy's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. And so he starts heading for the door. And, and, and before he gets there, he says, um, is there another church nearby that, that might be willing to baptize my dog? He goes, I don't know. Second church is next door. You might want to try them. They do all kinds of crazy stuff over there. So he's like, okay. And so he gets to the door. He says, excuse me. I'm sorry. One more thing. I was planning on giving a $500 donation for, the, for them to baptize the dog. Is, is that right? I won't offend them if I do that, will I? And the pastor pauses. He says, oh, come on back. I didn't know your dog was a member of First Church. Right? And, and a lot of, you know, a lot of people, they, they come to church and they're like, how long is it going to be before the guy starts talking about money? Well, here's the deal. I'll say this. The Bible over a thousand times talks about money. Uh, actually, almost 2,000 times, Old Testament, New Testament, all together, there's, there's almost a couple thousand references to money. Jesus, almost 25% of the time, talked about money. And we, as a philosophy of ministry, we teach the Bible. We teach chapter by chapter. We teach verse by verse. And so what happens is we don't just sort of cherry-pick the things that we want to talk about. We just go through the Word. And when the Bible talks about money, we talk about money. And so... Here's the thing. We're going through a series. We're in Philippians. We come to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23, and Paul's talking about money. So, so I'm going to talk about money today, and, and I really, I, I don't apologize for it. It's just where we're at, okay? Um, and, you know, when the Bible talks about money, let me just warn you, give you the chicken exit warning right now. When the Bible talks about money, it hurts, because it's usually an area where we're convicted. It's typically the area where Christians develop last in their maturity. And so the chances are good that as I teach God's Word, and this is just God's Word I'm going to teach. I'm not giving an opinion. I'm just telling you what, the God, what God's Word says, what the Word of the Lord says. That it will hurt. And what I want you to do is I want you to listen to what God says. And even if it stings, I want you to, to, to swallow it. And I want you to take a walk with it. And I want you to, to respond to it in a biblical way. Amen? All right. So there's a lot that we can learn from these Philippians. And, and basically, this is what Paul is saying to them. He's saying, man, when it comes to sacrificial living and giving, you get it. And you're going to be rewarded. And that's the big idea of what he says here. Uh, but there's a lot for us to learn. So we'll pick it up in verse 10, where we left off last week. He says, but I rejoiced in the Lord. And by the way, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read through these verses. I'm going to just go, we're kind of comment on them, and then we'll sort of, we'll sort of dig in after that. So uh, verse 10, he says, but I rejoiced uh, in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. That word flourished, if you're into taking notes, it literally means to grow green. Uh, not to go green, but to grow green, right? And, and the idea there is of a plant that has withered and it's now springing back to life. It's growing green again. Uh, and uh, and so, sort of a pun there because he's like, you're growing green again in the sense that you, you were able to send me some financial support. So, uh, you know, they're growing green. But uh, seriously, he says, man, I, I'm rejoicing greatly 
that now your care for me has, has grown green, has flourished again, it's sprouted again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Now, Paul's just repeating what he's told them already at the end of chapter 2. You remember in chapter 2, at verse 30, he talked about uh, how, hey, uh, thanks, you know, I'm glad you sent Epaphroditus uh, with the, the love offering that you had gathered together, the financial support that you gave me, and he supplied what was lacking on your behalf. Now, it, Paul wasn't saying there, you guys lack, you're, you're slacking off, you know, and thankfully this guy came to your rescue. No, what he was saying was, you practically speaking, were hindered from being able to support me financially. You were characterized over the years by being those that support me. He's going to say that in a minute. And, and so he basically said, when Epaphroditus came, man, he was able, what was lacking was, was supplied again. Um, and, uh, and so he continues in verse 11. He says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. And that word's going to figure uh, very prominently for us. We're going to finish with that. We'll come back to that. He says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, several things to say about that. First of all, he says, listen, um, I've learned the secret of being content. I've learned how to be content. And that's good for me to see because contentment just doesn't come naturally. If you struggle with being content in various situations, various circumstances, you're not alone. Even the Apostle Paul had to learn how to be content. Uh, And so it's something that we have to learn. And basically what he says is, look, I've learned how to be full and I've learned how to be empty. I've learned how to have a lot and I've learned how to have a little. And, And don't you know, and we've all experienced, right, life goes through cycles. And some days you're up, some days you're down right? Some days you're having steak. Other days you're having, you know, Kraft macaroni and cheese. And it's just the way it goes, right? We all go through those times of, hey, sometimes it's lean, sometimes it's fat. And so what Paul is saying here is, man, I've learned to go to weather those different seasons. But what he says there is he says in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now that is super encouraging to me. First of all, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's one of those broad truisms of the Bible. I mean, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's one of those Bible verses we like to memorize. It's, it's one of those things, maybe you got a tattoo. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe it had to do with, with the tattoo. I can do all things through Christ, right? Give me this, right? Um, we put it on bumper stickers. We put it on, you know, our screensavers. And the fact is, that is a general truth. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And, of course, the caveat is all things that are in accordance with his will. And, you know, I can be a millionaire through Christ. Well, not if it's not his will, right? And so um, I can do all things. But here's the other encouragement for me in this. He says it, it, it's a general truism. It's true in every instance, every circumstance. But the specific application has to do with finances. He's saying it in the context of, man, I've struggled and I've had times of plenty. And regardless of where I'm at financially, man, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. By the way, I think that's a word for somebody here today. Just maybe you're in a situation right now and it's lean and it's hard and you're stressed out. And, this, and nobody's got the corner on this market, but men typically, statistically, 
struggle more with this because every waking moment, it's like I got to provide for my family. And it's, it's just your constant companion. And I think maybe this promise, man, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe you're in a situation and you think, I have no idea how I'm going to get out of this one. I don't know either. But you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And I think that's a word of the Lord for some here today. And so Paul continues in verse 14. He says, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Basically what he says is, look, I'm glad you provided. Even if you hadn't provided, God would have still taken care of me. But now he goes back and says, nevertheless, you shared in my distress. And man, I'm so grateful for that. He says, you've done well that you shared in my distress. He says, verse 15, now you Philippians know also uh, that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. There in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas in the church there in Antioch, and the Holy Spirit shows up, speaks to the leaders of the church, says, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them to do. And they boldly go out onto the mission field. They're proclaiming the gospel. They're planting churches. They are doing a foundational work. The, you know, their, their work is to go where Christ has not been named, to, to take this gospel out from Jerusalem. And Jesus had told his disciples, you'll be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. These extrinsic, you know, circles, these, uh, this, this, this growing sort of ripples going out of pro- proclaiming the gospel. And, and Paul says to these guys, man, when I went out, you were the only church that supported me. Now, I was doing that work that God had called me to. And by the way, this is a foundational work that he's doing. I would be so bold as to say that we here today, who are believers and followers of Jesus Christ, owe in a very real way our salvation to the faithful giving of the Philippian church. Paul says, when I went out, you were the only ones that supported me in that work. And so he goes on and he says, Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. He's like, listen, man, I went out. I went out from the church of Antioch. I, I started, you know, all of these different churches. And I went to the area of Corinth. And I started churches in Corinth. And all through the area there of Thessalonica, planting churches. And, and you, not only once, on a regular basis, you guys were the ones that supported that work. You're the ones that your faithful giving perpetuated that work. That's what he's saying here. In verse 17, he says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Here's what Paul's saying. He says, look, it's not so much that I want to get into your wallet. That's not, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. He says, it's, it's not that I'm seeking your money. Because he's already gone on record to say, look, God's going to provide for me. You know, if, if it's not you... One way or the other, God's going to take care of my needs. I, I trust in the Lord. It's not like, oh man, if the Philippians don't don't you know pony up and give me the money, I'm gonna this thing's gonna fit. You know, give a million dollars, God's gonna take me home, kind of thing. He's not, you know, this, this is not where he's coming from. Basically, he just says, look, I know that God's going to provide for me, but but and and so I'm not seeking the gift. He says, but, th- but here's the thing. Here's why it's important for me, Paul would say to the Philippians, to encourage you in your giving. Here's why it's important for me to say, hey, you get it, don't lose it. You understand the importance of giving, and 
you're going to be rewarded for your giving, and I want to encourage you to continue to be giving. Here's why he says that. He says, it's not that I seek the gift. He says, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. And see, there's a couple, at least a couple of aspects to that. One is that future fruit, that idea of as you're faithful and little, God will make you faithful and much. We'll be looking at that in just a minute. But there's this idea of stewardship. And God is looking for faithful stewards that he can entrust with money that will be faithful with it. And I'm not talking name it and claim it, you know, blab it and grab it. I'm not talking about God wants you to be a millionaire. I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is God's looking for people who are responsible with money, people that he can trust that will do the right thing with money. And so there is fruit that will come for those people who are responsible with money. It's just a biblical truth. But another aspect of this is he says, look, I, seek, it's not, I don't seek the gift. I'm look, not looking to get into your wallet, but I, I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Listen, as I said, Paul went and planted churches because of their financial support. Paul led people to the Lord because of their financial support. That ongoing work of salvation has continued for 2,000 years because of their financial support. And see, what the Bible teaches is that that fruit will be accounted to their account. Listen, in a very real way, maybe some of you here today are directly related to the work that happened there. And man, that Philippian who gave so sacrificially would go and stand before the Lord and he would say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because of your faithful giving, 40 million people now know Jesus Christ, right? This is the idea. This is what Paul's saying. He says, this is what I want for you. And so he goes on and he says, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from uh, Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. What Paul says is, look, right now my belly's full. Life is good. You guys came, you gave to me, and I'm writing this letter with, with you know, just a warm blanket and a full belly. But he says, not only that, but what you did went up to the Lord as a sweet-smelling aroma. It was an act of worship on your part. So not only have you cared for me, Paul is telling these Philippians, he's saying, you have blessed the heart of God. You have been faithful in your giving, and it's gone up to the Lord as this offering that would be described in the Old Testament where the offering was given, this burnt offering, and it would go up as a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. Absolute sacrifice on your part. Absolute worshipful received his worship on the Lord's part. That's what he's talking about here. And so verse 19, he continues and he says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul is saying to these guys, you will never outgive God. God, you continue with that generous heart, with that generous attitude, with that generous spirit. You will never outgive God. He'll supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. You guys are on the right track. You've got the right mindset. You're mature about money, and you don't see money as being something that, that is anything other than a vehicle through which you can bring glory and honor to God. And that's how you do it, and God will continue to make sure that you're equipped to be able to bring him glory and honor. Now, again, that's not to say and we're going to get into this, but that's not to say that, you know, hey, you handle, you know, it's not this formula. It's not like, okay, you handle your money right, and God's going to always, you know, keep you rich. It's, it's, it, 
God will take you through lean times. He will take you through difficult times. This is not a formula, and you can't ever paint God into a box like that. It's not, it's not like, if I do this, then you have to do that. No, God's God. And so he may sovereignly decide to take us through times of difficulty or times of trial or times of hardship or times of hurt, and maybe you're there now, and maybe you've been asking, maybe this is the answer to your question. You've been saying, well, I've been faithful. Why? I don't know why. He's a good God. He loves you. Maybe this is prescribed for you. Maybe he wants to take you through a time of leanness and testing and trial for your betterment. But Paul says, listen, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He says, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. But especially those who are of Caesar's household, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, what I'd like to do is just give you, from the, the examples of the Philippians, I'd like just to concentrate on a few principles here today. Um, and uh, if you're taking notes, first thing I'd like you to write down is this word, sacrifice. Write down the word, sacrifice. Warren Wearsby said this, he says, In this universe there is God and there are people and things. We should worship God, love people, and use things. But if we start worshiping ourselves, we will ignore God and start loving things and using people. This is the formula for a miserable life. And there's many these days that are miserable, right? And they've lost sight of, man, they've just lost sight of what's a priority. See, when it comes to the proper use of things, and in this case money, the Philippians had great maturity in that they were the most sacrificially generous of all the New Testament churches. They were alone the most sacrificially generous. So much so that Paul actually used them as an example when he was teaching the Corinthians of what a good and giving and generous and sacrificing church should look like. And in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, this is primarily where, you know, he cites this church as an example. And normally I would have you turn there, <coughs> excuse me, but for time's sake, I'm just going to put uh, various scriptures up on the wall, but I'm going to give you some homework. Uh, read and write this down, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. This is great homework for us as, as Christians. You want to know what it is to, to be healthy in your giving, just spend some time. Listen to what Paul tells the Corinthians about the church in Philippians. With that, I'll give you the cliff notes. One of the things that we discover in 2 Corinthians is that although the Philippians were poor, they actually gave very sacrificially, and that's our word, sacrifice. Listen to what he says to them, 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 4. He's talking to the Corinthians about the Philippians, and he says, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. That's the Philippian church. He says, they are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. In other words, they gave very sacrificially. Now, that doesn't mean that they went into debt uh, to do this. What it means is they went without. There were things that they sacrificed to go without in order to give sacrificially as, a, as an act of worship to God. And he goes on and he says, And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. And see, again, the idea is that our giving should have an element 
of sacrifice to it. Now, we understand this on a relational level. Uh, There was a commercial that I saw years ago. I'll illustrate this point with. It was uh, was a beer commercial. And I just saw several of you guys' heads pop up, which is a really sad commentary right now. No, it's a beer commercial. I'm just kidding. Um, And and the beer commercial was this. It was uh, a guy, a husband and wife, and uh, it's their anniversary. Now, they show the wife. The commercial starts off. The wife is in a, a, a greeting card section of a store, and she's intently just sacrificially giving of her time to find the perfect anniversary card for her husband, right? Then it switches to the husband in a separate store, and he's in a section of that store just sacrificially giving of his time searching for the perfect beer, Right? And there he is. He's searching, searching, searching. She's searching, searching for the perfect card. He's searching. He finds his perfect beer. And he goes into the checkout line, throws the beer up on the checkout, you know, belt there. And you know how they've got the impulse buy stuff at the, uh, at the checkout counter? Well, there is a card. And he grabs it. And he's like, eh, all right. Throws it down. That's her card, right? So the commercial ends with this gal reading his card. And, oh, and she holds it to her heart. And, oh, it just means so much to her, right? Because she thinks in her mind that her husband has sacrificially labored over picking out the perfect anniversary card for her, just as she sacrificially labored for him. Did she know if she knew the truth, the card wouldn't have meant anything. She would not have hugged that thing to her heart. She would have thrown it out. Why? Because the truth was he sacrificially labored over the beer and not over picking the perfect card for her. And so the the issue here when it comes to our giving is that there needs to be an element of sacrifice for it on your part. Um, King David, there's a story in in 2 Samuel, in 2 Samuel 24, and and I'll tell you the story and then I'll put the the scripture up on the screen. Um, David there in 2 Samuel, he, he defied God. God had told him not to number the, the people in Israel. He went and he numbered everybody in Israel. And he did it for prideful reasons, like, you know, how big is my kingdom kind of thing. And so he had his, his people go out and count all the, the, the folks. And, and so then immediately after he did it, David knew, man, I blew it. That, that is not going to be pleasing to God. So in his repentance, one of the things that he wanted to do was to sacrifice unto the Lord, to worship to the Lord, to, to just to go and, and make this the sacrifice of repentance. And so um, he, he goes to, to, uh, to this guy, uh, to a guy named Arana, basically to uh, buy his land. And he says, hey man, you know, I want to buy your land so that I can sacrifice the Lord. Here's what uh, Arana replied to him. He said, but the king replied to Arana, now I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. David said, look, I'm not going to offer to God that which cost me nothing. And, and, and you know, Paul, citing these Philippians as an example uh, to the Corinthians to follow, he went on to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that they too should give sacrificially. Here's what he said to them. He said, uh, 
2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8, he said, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. You see, in saying this, what he's saying is that we each should give whatever is sacrificial for us. Whatever is sacrificial. See, here's the thing. In the Old Testament, the giving uh, was, was all lined out, all penciled out, all mapped out. It was very strategic in the sense that you were called to, if you were going to worship God according to Levitical law, first of all, you were supposed to, to give a tithe, right? Which, which just means a tenth. You're supposed to give 10% of your income. And then over and above that were these offerings that they would give to the Lord. And as you tally everything up, basically the conclusion you come to is that it totaled an additional 15%. So according to the Old Testament law, uh, upwards of 25% of your income was designated that you should give to God as your act of worship. Now the New Testament doesn't hold to that. What is the principle of the New Testament? It's one word. Sacrifice. It's sacrifice. See, what God requires of you and of me is that if we're going to honor him with our finances, then it needs to be sacrificial. It needs to be that thing that we give. Lord, I'm giving this to you as a sacrifice of worship. Here's how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 16. I'll put this up on the screen for you. He says, Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. He says, must do. This is, this is an, uh, a, a commandment for us. He says, you must do this also on the first day of the week. What day is that? Sunday. On the first day of the week, let each of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. In other words, in the Greek, that's in the continuous sense of what it means is, you know, hey, my pay period this week, I got this amount. My pay period next week, I get this amount. And it fluctuates. And basically, he's saying, as the Lord provides for you, as the Lord provides for you, then you should lay a portion of that, that which is sacrificial to you, you should lay that aside and give that as an act of worship to the Lord. Uh, he says that there, uh, that there be no collections when I come. And, and this is the principle, guys, that we follow here at Reliance Church. We don't, we don't pass the bag. We don't take a collection when you come. We put two boxes in the back. And what we exhort you to do is, listen, be obedient to God with your money. Understand that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no shadow of turning. He's provided you with every dime in your pocket, and he commands that you should worship him with your money. And so what we encourage you to do is to prayerfully consider, hey, what can be my regular gift? How has God provided what is sacrificial for me and for my family, and, and how uh, can I go about doing that? We don't pass the basket around. We don't put it on a pole and jab you with it. We just stick the box in the back, and we say, hey, listen, you know, you give as unto the Lord as he has prospered you. Now, here's the truth. The fact is our work here absolutely depends on each one of you regularly giving sacrificially. It absolutely does. If you don't mature in this area, and if, you are, if you're disobedient in this area, then, then the 
provision for the ministry of this church doesn't come through you, and that's God's design, and that's His will, that it should come through you. And so the fact is, is that our ministry here absolutely depends on you guys being mature in that regard. I'll give you an example. Last week we showed you a film of our Vacation Bible School. It was a week long. We had almost 500 kids out here for an entire week, many faithful volunteers making that happen, but it, didn't, it wasn't free. We had 70 kids, over 70 kids get saved, give their lives to Christ, but we spent like almost upwards of $10,000 to put on that Vacation Bible School. Now for us, that's money well spent. We'll spend it again next year because those kids are precious to the Lord and we're going to do that. But can I tell you, in the, very, in the corresponding month, not only did we spend $10,000 outside of our budget to do that, our tithe was actually down almost $10,000. We had $10,000 less come in last month. Now, I'm not telling you that to say, you know, please give. Now, God's faithful. He's going to provide for this ministry. Where he guides, he provides. Where it's his will, it's his bill. He'll take care of it. We trust in him. But he's called you, and this is, this is the part that stings, and that I need you guys to take a walk with. See, if you want to share in the fruit of what God is doing, and more importantly, if you want to live a life of obedience to the Lord, I'm asking you the question, and I'm going to ask you to take this question home with you today. Are you being sacrificial in your giving? Are you being sacrificial? See, Jesus gave us this, this broad brush overview on the subject of, of money in Matthew chapter 6. He's, he said this in Matthew 6.21. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Along the same lines in Luke chapter 12, Jesus told the parable about a steward. And basically, a steward is somebody who is entrusted with something that's not theirs. And that's the illustration that Jesus used to talk about how we handle money. He basically said, it's not yours. Whose is it? It's God's. It belongs to the Lord. And so he gave this parable of a steward. And basically, he said there in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. The idea is that everything we own ultimately belongs to God, and we have to manage it as such. You see, the principle is that as God provides for us financially, we have the responsibility to worship Him with it. And as a matter of fact, the Bible says that when we fail to give back to God that which belongs to Him, we are, in fact, robbing Him. Malachi chapter uh, 3, verses 8 through 10 says this, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now, let me illustrate this idea of of stewardship. God's a loving father, right? And we're his children. And, and I'm, I'm going to use Joel, uh, who we had up here, we, we ordained as, or anointed as, an, as a deacon today. Use him as an example. Joel's a loving father. And his kids there, he, he loves them. He wants the best for them. Now, Joel, you know, says to his daughter, Hey, honey, uh, 
I want you to run to the store for me. I want you to get some eggs, some milk. I want you to get some bread. Uh, because I'm a loving father, here, I'm going to give you 20 bucks, and you can use part of this to get a little treat for yourself, honey. And, uh, and then I want you to come back and bring me the change. So his daughter goes out. She comes home. She's got a big old bag of candy. She's got no eggs, no bread, no milk, no change. And Joel says to her, honey, where's the eggs, the milk, the bread? Where's, where's my change? She says, you didn't give me enough money. Joel says, you stole from me. You robbed me. I gave you 20 bucks. You had more than enough to get everything I asked you and to get a treat for yourself and to bring me change over and above that. You stole from me. But I am a gracious father. I am a loving father. I, I do, I hope you've learned your lesson here. Now, honey, here's another 20 bucks. Now, he's a lot more loving and gracious than me, but you know. So here's 20 bucks. Now I want you to go to the store. I want you to get eggs and milk. I want you to get some bread. You can get a treat for yourself. Bring me the change. So his daughter goes out. She comes back. She's got a yo-yo. She's got a Barbie video. She's got no eggs, no milk, right? No bread. Honey, what is going on? She says, you know, the Bible says that good fathers know how to give good gifts to their children. And, uh, you know, so, but if you were, I'm, I'm starting to doubt you because if you were really good, I would have had enough to get all this stuff and get you your eggs and your milk and your bread. You know, you're just not a good father. I don't know if I can trust you. So I was like, honey, listen, patient, long-suffering, just, okay, come on. You know, talks to her, encourages her, chastises her. Honey, here's 20 bucks. Now I want you to go down to the store. I want you to get me some eggs and some milk and some, bu- and some bread. You can get a treat for yourself and bring me the change. So she goes to the store, miracle of miracles. She comes back. She actually got some milk and some Lucky Charms and some Jacks and a play toy. No bread, no eggs. See, at what point does Joel say to her, you know what, sweetheart? I'm going to get another kid to trust my money to. I'm gonna, now, maybe, your, maybe your brother can do better, right? At what point does he say, listen, here's, here's the thing. I'm tired of paying 60 bucks for eggs and bread and for you know, for all these things. I'm going to get your brother to do it. See, this is the issue of stewardship. This is the picture of stewardship. For God, our loving Father, He's looking for good stewards. And at some point, it's going to make sense that He's going to entrust His resources, guys, to those that are faithful with the resources, right? And, And here's the point. Every Christian has the responsibility to give something. Everyone has a responsibility to give something. And you might want to write that word down. Give something. See, if if you're not regularly giving something sacrificially, well, the Bible says you are robbing God. Now, I realize that's pretty harsh to hear, right? And I also realize that as I share that, there are some of you here, some of you, you're a single mom. and, And you're saying, you have no idea. Maybe you're on government assistance. Maybe, you know, you're unemployed and have been for a period of time. I don't know your situation. But in a group this size, it stands to reason all three of those categories and more are here. Here's what I would say to that. Jesus 
there's an account in Mark chapter 12, and, and I'm sure you remember it. Where he's standing with his disciples, and there's a little old woman, and she goes to the offering, and she puts two mites into the offering. And Jesus points her out to the disciples. What's he say about her? He says, this woman has given more than everyone else. By the way, two mites in modern currency, it's less than a penny. It's like three, three, it's like three-fifths of one cent. And Jesus said she gave more than all the rest because all the rest gave out of their increase. She gave sacrificially. And see, that's the point, guys, is that the measure is sacrifice. And so you're here. I'm not, I'm not saying that you have... It, Whatever you give, it's between you and God. For some of you, sacrificial giving is well less than 10%. But for others of you, sacrificial giving may well exceed 10%. See, it's all proportioned to the way the Lord has provided for you. And you know what? Many Christians, they learn this lesson too late. Many Christians, they they learn this lesson, they, they go through, and they're like, you know, I've butchered my finances. Before I got this spiritual maturity and have grown to this spiritual place, up until this time, you know, I've been dealing with money my whole life, and I've made a mess of it. I've butchered my finances. I've consistently got more month than I got more money, you know. I got more month than money every single month. And so now what do I do? Sacrifice. That's the question. And so it's an issue of just saying, okay, what is it that God would have you to sacrifice? Where do you start? You've got to start somewhere. The measure is sacrifice. So you start with something. You ask yourself, man, what can I start with? And again, three points you should have written down in your notes. Your giving should be something regular. It should be something sacrificial. And thirdly, it should be in good stewardship. Now, in closing, I want you to notice with me the promise that follows. Verse 19, here's what Paul says. He says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. By Christ Jesus. Now, there's a couple things I want to point out to you there. First of all, can I point out to you that this promise of verse 19 follows the exercise of good stewardship of the verses that precede it? Paul is saying, listen, my God is going to supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And the implication there is that it comes as a result of good stewardship, the exercise of good stewardship in your life. Now, that's not to say that God isn't a loving Father, that He's long-suffering, that He will supply all of your needs regardless of your obedience or your disobedience. The fact that we're all sitting here, and I venture to say, uh, you know, we've all eaten today. We, we, as near as I can tell, you're all clothed, right? God has provided for every single one of us, you know, regardless of whether you've been faithful or giving or not. So God is faithful. But again, This is a conditional promise, and to the degree that we are faithful will determine the amount that God can trust us with. Again, that's not name it and claim it. That's just a responsibility issue. The second thing I want to point out to you about that verse is this, is that God provides, if you notice, he says, God shall supply all your your need. He doesn't say God will supply all your wants, does he? Yeah, we'll get, you know, at the church, I'll get purchase requests that'll come in from our various departments. My son's famous for this. He, he heads up our multimedia department. I'll get a purchase request, and I'll look at it, and I'll go, well, I see the need of this. That, that $10,000 sound system would sure be neat, but I don't see the need, right? I throw him under the bus, but, but you know, it's, it's like, I do this all the time. I'm cheap. So I'll look, I'm like, I see the need in this, but I don't see the need. 
right? And so the thing is, for the Lord, he blesses us, he gives good gifts to us, he knows how to give good gifts to his children, and all of this is not to say that, that you know, you're in sin if you've done well financially, or if you've been successful, or you've been able to buy yourself nice things. Praise the Lord. That's great. And God is faithful and, and, and all. But man, when we show ourselves to be responsible with money, God entrusts us with more. Because what he's looking for, church, is those that will be good stewards of what belongs to him. And so if you're faithful with the exercise of finances, typically God's going to trust you with more so that you can be faithful with that as well. And I'll just tell you, and I haven't said this to any of the other services, but we have, over the years, have those people who God has just financially blessed because they know how to do, handle money, they know what to do with money, and there have been actually whole seasons of this church where because of a faithful few people who, who have been entrusted by God and faithful with their money, they've carried this church when, when large portions of our church were largely disobedient in this area, and we thank God. For, for having those people. But the, the point here is that we need to be mature. We need to be trusting in the Lord. Now, with this in mind, I want to direct your attention to verse 11. One word, we're going to close on this word. In verse 11, here's what Paul says. If you back up there, he says, Not that I speak in regard to need. He says, For I have learned in whatever state I am to be, and what's the word? It's content. If you want to write nearby it, I'll give you the definition of that, though we hardly need it. It means literally to be satisfied with what you have. And I just ask you, are you satisfied with what you have today? Are you satisfied with what God has given to you? The story is told of John D. Rockefeller. He was worth, uh, he died in the 30s, and he died with uh, the modern-day equivalent of about $100 billion of personal wealth. And he was asked shortly before his death, John D. Rockefeller, you, you've got more money than anybody else on the face of the earth. How much money is enough? And his answer, a little more. Just a little more, right? And it's always that for us. We have this thing. See, because here's the thing. What's the opposite of coveting? Or what's the opposite of, of, of contentment? It's coveting, right? And, and the thing is, is that we are bred in this nation to covet. By the way, that's one of the big ten, right? The 10th commandment is don't covet, right? Thou shalt not covet. And the thing is, is that we do. And it's bred into us. It's a, man, our culture, man, we, we don't see it as sin. We don't see it as coveting. We see it as, man, I want a new TV. I want a new boat. I want a new house. I want a new computer. I want a new iPad. I want a new iPhone. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want what he's got. And we covet. And see, the thing is, is that we have this whole consumer society structured so that we are discontented and covetous. And again, I'm not saying it's a sin to make money. I'm not saying it's a sin to work hard and to have nice things. But we're called to be good stewards, guys, with what God has given to us. And as we're faithful with what God gives to us, as we're content, God will trust us with more. Are you content? I'll close with this scripture, Jesus speaking, Matthew 16. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Pick up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man? What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man